trying to watch the video online with Brother Ananiah here, see what was going on, and um, it was amazing. He started a sermon, turned to John, like, of all places, back to John again, even when I'm not here. John chapter 9, verse number 1, we'll stand if you find your place there. up back there. It says John chapter 9, verse number 1. And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had thus spoken, he sped on the ground and made clay of the spittle, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay, and said unto him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. He went his way therefore and washed, and came saying, You can be seated. So thank you for allowing Brother Anania to be here, but also thank you for allowing Brother Dale to step in as well. I'm thankful he's here and willing to step in, and I don't have to worry about it. I know he can, he can handle it. I know he's going to be right doctrinally, and I appreciate that. Thank you for willing to be, willing, being willing to do that. Get him get that out. It's been a while since I've been here. It's been four, I look in this morning, it's been four Sundays since I preached here in this pulpit. I got to preach a little bit over there, but I'm thankful to get back in our church, in my church. I'm thankful to be here. I'm thankful you allowed us for the time to be away. I tried to come back multiple times. The Lord wouldn't allow it to happen. I kept canceling my flights, and she was in the hospital and back and forth. So thank you for allowing me to be over there. All that being said, I prepared this message before to come back and preach to you on a Wednesday night when I was planning on being here, and the Lord didn't allow that to happen. That he did allow me to preach this over there, but I'm going to try to change it a little bit and try to preach it to you today. I tried for hours yesterday to try to find something else to preach to you, to be honest with you. Especially on Sunday morning, me coming back this first Sunday here, it's not something I wanted to bring to you. It's not a feel-good kind of message you might like to hear from me after a month of being away. But after in Sunday school this morning, the Lord nailed down my heart, this is exactly what I'm supposed to be preaching. No matter what I tried, I couldn't get away from it last night, and I went back again the Sunday in the middle of the night last night, couldn't get away from it. So this is what I'm going to preach this morning. I know that I have no shadow of a doubt. This is what I'm supposed to be preaching today. I don't know why. This is what I'm supposed to be preaching. If I make a mess of it, it's my fault. It's not the Lord's fault. So I appreciate it if you listen. So in this passage here, we are going to look at the literal interpretation of what happens here at the beginning, this healing of the blind man. We're going to look at the actual miracle. It was a real miracle, a real man. It really was blind. And then we're going to step back and look at one little phrase that I've, I've skipped over for years and never paid any attention to until now. And I believe it is very crucial that we as Christians grasp a hold of what he's saying here, grasp on what this means. I believe it's completely necessary for the health and future of a New Testament Baptist church to understand this. If we're going to fulfill that title as a New Testament Baptist church, we must get a hold of this. Now that I've built it up enough, I'll try not to mess it all up. I'm going to give you a title here in just a few minutes. First, I'm going to go and jump in right here, This deal with this first part of this. It's obvious, the literal translation of this man that is blind. Number one, he is blind. It's very simple, John 9, 1. And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. No question about it. Can't get much simpler than that. This man was born blind, blind from his birth. These Pharisees later on are going to try to make it into something else. They're going to try to blame it on sin or this or that. And I've heard different commentaries try to do different things with it. He was born, God, Jesus said he was born blind. The Holy Spirit inspired John to write down this man was blind from his birth. So he's a blind man. We've preached on this before, actually. Where, whereas I was blind, now I see. I've preached that before. I don't know much, but I do know, what I do know is where, where I was blind, Amen. now I'm not blind anymore, I can see. And thank Amen. God for that. Blind from his birth, he was. We'll get to that later, but 
This man was a blind man until he met the light of the world. Every last one of us in here were born into sin. We were born blind until we met the light of the world. I'm thankful for that day I saw the light. So he's a blind man. This is one of those few instances in the book of John where John mentions a healing like this. And this is a hard case. The disciples don't even understand at all, and they're asking questions. They're confused. John seems, God, the apostle John here seems to pick out a few of the hard cases for his examples of miracles here in this gospel. He does this to prove exactly this is the very Son of God. I told you that over and over again. John's goal with the book of John is to show the church that this is the Son of God. He's not just a man. He's not just a Jew. He is the very Son of God. That's what his point is here. So this is the seventh sign that John's going to use to prove that Jesus is the Son of God. Like we said before, John only records a few of them. He skips over a bunch. He picks out some of the really big ones just to prove to us who Jesus really is and what Jesus really can do. This man's disease is one from his birth. This is the only one like this, and they have recorded. He's never seen the light of day. He's never seen anything. Never seen the sunset over Mount Carmel there in Jerusalem. He's never seen anything. He's blind from his birth. No question about it. Number two, who's to blame? It's very simple. He's a blind man. Okay, whose fault is it? That's what the disciples say. Verse number two. His disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Whose fault is it? That's how we look at things, don't we? Lord, who can we blame? This has gone wrong. Who can I blame? It's human nature. I don't believe the disciples were meaning anything by this or other than just plain concern. They just did not understand. Lord, why is this man blind? Whose fault is it? Who has sinned? Notice Jesus did not rebuke them here. He just answered their question. They just asked an honest question. Lord, whose fault is it? I've done that many, myself many times. Lord, why did this happen? Lord, what have I done to deserve? Why is this going on? What have I not done that I was supposed to do? Why is this happening? Here's a, who can I blame? Here's the advice for that. Read the next couple of verses. Verse number three, Jesus answered, neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day, the night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Sometimes things happen just so God can get the glory out of it. We've been asking prayer for that baby Ezekiel, Nellie's cousin, and I have no idea why that little boy is having to go through what he's going through. I don't understand that. It doesn't make any sense to me, but God knows. We talked about a baby major, got cancer, don't understand why, Lord, why would that happen to that little boy? I don't understand it. It don't make any sense to me. In my finite mind, we can rest assured God knows. There's a reason for it. Some things do come because of sin. Some do. I believe God will hold us accountable, and sometimes, like our children, we must be disciplined. And it's for our good. We tell our kids, and this hurts me more than it hurts you. And no kid ever believes that until you're a parent. It doesn't always hurt sometimes. Anyway, sometimes the Lord must correct us. If he did not, he wouldn't be a very good parent, now would he? You, would, you don't look at a bratty three-year-old and blame the kid. You blame the parent. I can say that. I got plenty of them. My Bible says God is not mocked. He will correct. But all that being said, that's not always the reason for things happening in our life. It's worth checking up on to see if you've messed up somewhere, but it's not necessarily the reason. You said, neither hath this man sinned nor his parents. Then why is he blind? That the works of God should be made manifest in him. Sometimes God just lets things happen so he can be used, so he can be seen. That's why it's important to make sure we're watching and listening, praying and paying attention. The Lord may have us do something. He may have something for us. Are you listening to him? Are you paying? Well, preacher, I just don't understand why God would allow this to happen to me. Are you listening to him? Examine your own heart if it's clean and go to God and wait for instruction. He's got a plan. He's, this did not just happen. He has a plan. Who is to blame? Maybe, maybe nobody. In this case, nobody. It's all about what Jesus could do. Jesus had a plan. This man's been blind from his birth. I don't know how old he is here. He's been blind for a long time. For this day, 
so Jesus could use it to preach the gospel to these Pharisees. Some things may be in your life just so others can see what God can do with it. So who's to blame? Nobody is. Number three, very simple. He's healed. He's better. Verse six, when he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay, and said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation since. He went his way, therefore, and washed and came seeing. Why did Jesus do it this way? Why not just speak and heal the man right there on the spot? I mean, after all, Jesus spoke half the universe into existence. Surely he can just say, be healed, and the man would be healed. Why, why the clay? Why all this trouble? We really don't have the answer for it. Maybe it was to show his work, and maybe it was to show that he could use the clay, like me and you, the clay, to reach the blind. I don't know. There are many theories and examples we can come up with of why he used the clay. Many messages we could preach as application messages that God can use the clay. He made the man go wash. Why did he do that? Maybe teach the man some faith, possibly. There are many things we can apply to that as well, and they will be good applications. But here's the point. The man was blind, <laughs> but now he's not blind no more because Jesus came along. God used different men. He used my parents. He used several things, several pieces of clay in order to heal my blindness of sin, show me that I was lost in my way to hell without him. I had to trust him after that, but he used the, he used the clay. And he did the same thing for this man here. He used the clay. He healed his physical problem. And for now, at this point in this passage, it is only his physical problem that has been healed. But towards the end, as be healed spiritually, a whole lot bigger healing is going to come along. He trusts Jesus now. He believes Jesus has the power to heal now. But he has no idea yet who this Jesus really is. We'll get to that later on. There's coming a change in his life a lot bigger than blindness real soon. But he's better. He's no longer a blind man. Like the old song, ask the blind man, he saw it all. He's not a blind no more. Not a blind man. He'll go on to say, the one thing I know that where I was, I was blind, now I see. I don't know a lot. I don't know who, Je- who this Jesus is. I don't know everything about him yet, but I can tell you one thing. He came along. I couldn't see anything, and now I can. I don't know everything about the Word of God. I'm trying. I'm studying. I don't know everything about the Word of God. But I can promise you one thing. Where I was, I was blind. Now I see, and it still works today. Here's what I'm going to focus on here this morning for just a few minutes. Back to verse number one. <clears throat> And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. He said, okay, we ready to talk about that. Look at that first phrase. And as Jesus passed by. Passed by what? Passed, where did he come from? Or passed by who? Where, where is Jesus coming from? I know this is simple, but I've never noticed that before. Don't, I didn't pay attention to that before. Every time there's a therefore, where have we got to find out what it's there for? If he's, if he's passing by something, where is he coming from? You need to know what that's about to understand the, mes- the message of this passage here. I know this is simple. I told you before about these chapter divisions. They were not there when the Holy Ghost inspired John to write down this book. They came later on. We'll look at the previous verse. So chapter 9, verse number 1, is a continuation, at least a following idea of the previous passage. Now, not all books in the Bible are chronological in order, but most of them follow the, that chronological order inside the book themselves, and I believe that's the case here with these two chapters. So, understand, so to understand John chapter 9, verse number 1, and as Jesus passed by, what was he doing before we got to John chapter 9, verse number 1? Where's it coming from? John chapter 8, verse number 59. Then took they up stones to cast at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. If you remember, it's been several Sundays ago now, we looked at that passage, John chapter 8. He said, I am that I am. He's speaking to the Pharisees there in John chapter 8, like he has many times. He had just pardoned the woman there caught in adultery because she believed him. She called him Lord, capital L-O-R-D. He had just pardoned her sins. And then these Pharisees were angry with him. They're arguing with him, even in the midst of it all, in the middle of everything going on. People are believing on Jesus and getting saved. 
We talked about all those things, how even in the midst of trouble and trials and divisions and disputings, people were believing in Jesus and getting saved in the middle of all the trouble going on. I'm glad our pettiness doesn't stop the Holy Ghost from working. Let me get down to that last verse there, verse number 59. And these Jews have gotten so angry, and they have now picked up stones that are trying to stone Jesus to death. They are literally trying to kill Jesus Christ. And what does Jesus do? He hid himself, went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by because it was not yet his time. And so passed by. Next verse. And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. I know he is God, and he is in complete control of the situation. I understand that. But what a lesson for us here today. If anyone ever had the right to forget or neglect their burden for lost sinners, it was Jesus right here in this passage. If ever you would think that it might be okay just this one time, just to let it slide just this once, this is where the example would be for us to find. If, were, if it were permissible by God, then this right here is where we would find the example that that's okay. If it was okay for God to just, like Brother Dio said, just focus on ourselves for a little while before I can help you, then this is where he would teach it to us. But that's not what we find. Jesus is literally, I know he's in control, but he's literally hiding himself. These people do not throw stones at him and kill him. They are attempting to murder Jesus Christ, and he's passing by them and so passed by, leaving the temple. And what does he do? And as he passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. He sees a man that's blind that needs Jesus. I'm going to preach a few minutes on this thought, looking for the blind man. Obviously, as we know, we can see here that this man was definitely born blind. We talked about that, literally blind. This is very obvious, a very easy thing for us to relate to people being spiritually lost and in sin, blinding, blinded by sin, lost and on their way to hell. This man had that problem as well, and he was healed that way later on in the chapter. The Lord's been dealing with me on this thing for several weeks now. How often do we get our focus off the Great Commission and on everything else? How easy it is to get distracted with things of this life and things even in this church Things that devil is trying to use to cause harm and trying to use to cause problems and divisions. I believe the reason is because we've been preaching the gospel. We've been preaching Jesus, and the devil does not like it one bit. Brother Brad just got saved. Thank God for that. And Lord working other hearts. And I've been told, told about Lord working other people's hearts. And the devil doesn't like it. And if we're not careful, and I believe oftentimes we have, at least I have, we get our focus off evangelism, off the Great Commission, and off of the blind man and getting the gospel out. We get our focus on our own problems, our own struggles, and the little things that don't amount to a hill of beans in the, in the long run. And Satan gets to victory because we're focusing on ourselves. We're not focusing on looking for the blind man. Church, are you busy looking for the blind man? One of the highest priorities in the life of a Christian, next to honoring God and following God in every aspect of life, ought to be given the gospel. And if you do that, you are following God. Evangelism ought to be our priority, looking for the blind man. I believe that's one of the highest priorities for me as a Christian as well. But as a pastor, one of my highest priorities is also, by the way, pastor falls in after being a Christian. But as far as being a pastor, one of my highest responsibilities is to lead you to do the same thing, just to give the gospel. So are you busy looking for the blind man? Are you doing that? What are you focusing on? When's the last time you gave someone a clear presentation of the gospel? Was it today, yesterday, last week, last month, last year? When's the last time you gave someone a gospel tract? Here's my point. We all could step up. If you think you have arrived on this thing of soul winning, you think you've arrived on this thing of being a Christian, then you better go talk to the Lord about that. I've never had anyone that was actually right with God and doing what, they, doing what they're supposed to do that thought they were doing enough. 
I've never met anyone who, when they compared themselves to Jesus, thought they were doing everything that they ought to do for him. I'm not talking about working for salvation. I'm not talking about we are saved. That's, if you're saved, that's done forever, settled in heaven. Thank God for that. We have we have, better be busy about a service. Usually the ones I've seen that thought they were good enough weren't doing much of anything. If you start comparing yourself with God, you'll see where you stack up. Every one of us can step up. I'm starting with myself here. We all can step up. Are you looking for the blind man? So I've written a few reasons here why we aren't, we wouldn't be looking for the blind man. And I'll give you those and I'll be done. Number one, pride. Don't get offended at me just yet. We're just getting started. I'm not here to offend. I'm just here to preach the truth. One of the biggest excuses for not following through with evangelism is what we call fear. We claim that we are fearful. But if we look at that, what are we afraid of? We're afraid of rejection. We're afraid of what they will think of us. We all like to be liked. We all want people to like us. We all want to be popular. That's human nature. No one wants to be the weirdo. You're all weirdos. Get past that. You have to be to live here. None of us want to be that way. We start telling people they are sinners, and without Jesus, they're on their way to spend eternity in hell. Well, you're not going to win any popularity contests with conversations like that. I'm not saying we ought to be rude or mean to folks. I'm not talking about that. That's the cold, hard truth when you boil it all down. I understand there's proper timing, and the Holy Spirit has to lead. I understand those things. We have to be sensitive to the Lord about when to give that message. But if your first thought when the Holy Spirit urged you to give that message is, what will they think of me? You have a pride problem. Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction and the Holy Spirit before fall. Curtis Hudson, he said, the only alternative to soul winning is disobedience to God. We're so full of pride that we are more concerned with what people think about us. We're concerned with their eternal destination. We have a problem. It's direct disobedience to the Great Commission. He said, go ye into all the world. Not just go into all the world, go ye. You look at the Apostle Paul. If you need an example of someone who did not mind being the oddball out, if it meant giving the gospel, it was him. 1 Corinthians one twenty three. Paul says, well, we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block unto the Greeks foolishness. Both the audiences that he was preaching to thought he was crazy. To the Jews, it was messed, it messed up their religion. It was a stumbling block to them. To the Greeks, it was just foolishness. But God used him to reach more people than we could even imagine. Imagine Paul had a few doors slammed in his face. If he didn't, I know he at least had a few rocks thrown at him. He got thrown in prison, beaten with many stripes. Why? Because the Jews didn't want to hear his message because the Greeks thought he was a weirdo. The message, when he gave the message of the gospel. What is our excuse? We are afraid of what people might think. You get to the judgment seat of Christ. Well, Lord, I, I just didn't, I didn't want them to think, I didn't want to think bad of me. I don't know about you, but I don't want to stand before God one day with that excuse. Are you looking for the blind man? Where's your pride in the way? Number two, not only pride, number two, priorities. Another reason we aren't looking for the blind man, looking for the lost man, is our priorities are out of order. Our first priority as a Christian, and I said this earlier, ought to be to give the gospel. If we do that, we will honor Christ at the same time. Our priorities are naturally, as humans, centered around us. If you don't admit that, then you've got a problem with the first point. We do, what we, we do what we enjoy. We do what is comfortable. We do what brings us the most joy. That's just human nature. It's just the way we are, the way we're, way we're made. And there's nothing wrong with doing some of those things. I enjoy fishing. I do. We talked about that a few minutes ago. I enjoy freshwater fishing. I think some of y'all got out and did that this week. I enjoy those things. Is that a bad thing? No. Nothing wrong with it. Jesus cooked fish on the shore for the disciples. Nothing wrong with that. 
The second that becomes a priority over the will of God, then it becomes a sin. Whatever your thing is, it doesn't have to be fishing, whatever it is, I'm sure you have something. And if you're not careful, you'll put that ahead of God, and it will become a sin. For some, that's work. For some people, that's family time, and you can put your family ahead of God. For some people, that's watching TV. For some, I don't know what it is, whatever it is. If you're not careful, you'll put it ahead of serving God, and you're going to get yourself in trouble. Is giving the gospel, is looking for the blind man a priority in your life? Are you actively trying to find the one that God would have you share the gospel with? Have you prayed about it? Have you asked God for it? Have you looked for it? 1 Corinthians 9, 16. For though I preach the gospel, I have, for though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. I'm no apostle Paul, not even a fraction of what he was, but I can agree, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. Church, what are we doing? Hiding behind our pride, hiding behind our priorities. Why I'm just so busy, preacher. Well, you got your priorities out of order. There's lost and dying world out there, and we, we have what they need. We have, what, we have the gospel. It's right here in front of us. We talk about it all the time. We preach about it all the time. We know the truth, and the truth could set them free if they only knew about it, if they would believe it. How shall they call on him and whom they have not heard? We have to go. Is looking for the blind man a priority in your life? Is giving the gospel the center of your Christian life? Where does your priorities lie? Number one, Pride number two, priorities number three, for sake of alliteration, but perplexed about the gospel, misunderstood gospel, not understand what the gospel is. I believe one of the biggest problems, especially in our day today, is a misunderstanding about what giving the gospel means. It is vital, it is very important that we give the gospel with love. The Bible tells us that. However, the gospel itself is, is not just love. We ought to love our neighbor as ourselves. The Bible tells us that. That means we want to love them enough to give them the truth, give them the gospel. The gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and in turn what that can mean for a lost sinner like we used to be. Loving our neighbors, being good to people, being a friend, helping out, those are good things, but those are not giving the gospel out. The Great Commission is not social programs and charities. Sometimes those things, if used correctly, can give us an opportunity to give the gospel, but those in themselves are nothing more than humanitarian acts. They're good things. Giving money to those in need, helping our neighbors, cutting fire. We've done some of those things before. All those types of things, those are good things. And they can lead to giving the gospel for diligent about doing so. But they are not an alternative to giving the gospel. I've heard people say, well, we're just, we're just going to love them to Jesus. Okay, I understand that. And you ought to love sinners. You ought to. But love them enough to tell them the truth. If you're unwilling to give them the truth, you don't love them. You're just trying to appease your conscience. Don't love them and care for them and watch them die and go to hell without trying your best to give them the truth. They're going to have to make that decision themselves, but you better give them the truth in the process. A missionary friend of mine this week said this, and I couldn't agree more. Our job is not to make this planet a better place to go to hell from. Our job is to preach Christ, baptize the believers, and teach Christians to observe all things that God's word commands. The job of a New Testament Baptist church is outlined by the script, churches in the scriptures we can read about in the New Testament. It's not just to be a charity of humanitarian acts. It's to give the gospel at every opportunity we're given. Should we take part in those things? Sure, we can. We can do that. We ought to do those things. The Lord leads and we support orphanage. Those are good things. We ought to do those things. We ought to be a place where somebody can come and find some help if they need it, but not without the gospel message coming along with it. We don't look for the blind man because of pride, maybe because of priorities, maybe because we're perplexed about what the gospel really is. Here's another one. It's new progressive church. 
What I mean by progressive are these modern-day neo-evangelicals, a proper word, churches where their light shows, their fancy attractions, and their smile and patch on the back and send you out the door. They attract a big crowd. People come from all over to come. They have as a come-as-you-are, leave-as-you-were mentality message that they preach. People come, and they flock to it because it's exciting, because it makes you feel good on the inside. It makes your conscience feel good. But I believe it's done more damage to the gospel than it claims that it has helped. They poke fun at old-time religion. They poke fun at old-fashioned fundamental Baptist churches. They poke fun at confrontational evangelism. And these ideas have oftentimes crept into our good Bible-believing Baptist churches. Well, that's not popular. Giving the gospel is not popular anymore. Just love them, let them come. We can have fun and eat a hot dog and send them home. Gospel tracts are outdated. Preach, that's, for, that's for yesteryear. Preach, that doesn't work anymore. If they're outdated, then so is the New Testament. You better be careful saying that. Luke 9, 6, and they departed and went through the towns, preaching the gospel, hitting everywhere. Acts 8, 4, therefore they went out, scattered abroad, went everywhere, preaching the word. Went through the towns, preaching the gospel. They were scattered abroad, went everywhere, preaching the word, the gospel, everywhere they went. Not just inside these four walls of this church building. We need it here. And it works here, and we've seen that happen here. It's truth like it here, like it is everywhere else, but this ought not to be the only place it's spoken of. Now, the only time your friends hear about the gospel is when you invite them into church and they hear it from the pulpit. We're messing up. You're not going to give the gospel. I don't know who to give it to. You're not going to give it to the wrong person. Let me say that again. You cannot give the gospel to the wrong person. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Every last one of them. It's God's will that all, all people should hear the truth. And be, it's all God's will. And not any should perish, but all should come to repentance. It's God's will that all should be saved. Will they all be saved? No, unfortunately, they will not. But it's God's will that they hear. God's not going to ask you to, on the judgment seat why you wasted your time giving the gospel to so-and-so. That's not going to happen. It's for every last man, woman, boy, and girl. If it's the rich man, it's for the poor man, it's for the intellectual man, it's for the child, it's for every race, every standing, every stature, red, yellow, black, and white. They are precious in his sight. It's all for every one of them. Don't be conned into believing that giving the gospel is for days gone by. Don't let these modern-day ideas shape the way you feel about the gospel. That's just too confrontational. They just won't like to hear that. They're not supposed to. It's supposed to be convicting. It's not supposed to make you feel good. The gospel's not supposed to pat you on the back. It's supposed to be confrontational. I'm not saying you've got to be rude. But if you give the gospel to a lost man and it makes him feel good about himself, you do not give him the gospel. There can be no salvation without repentance, and there will be no repentance unless someone realizes their current state before God without God. Don't let the influence of modern-day churches stop you from giving the gospel. My pastor says this, what is popular is not always right. What is right is not always popular, but what is right is always right. If it was the truth in the Bible, it's still right. If it's right in the Bible, it's still right today. Truth does not change. There's news saying now, this is my truth and their truth and our truth. Truth does not change. People change. Times change. Truth remains forever. If it's truth, it cannot change. If it was right 30 years ago, according to the Word of God, then it's still right today. We see some perplexed by the gospel. He said this progressive church idea. We see oftentimes we don't look for the blind man because of problems. <clears throat> oftentimes it's not pride. It's not priorities. Sometimes it can be. Many times it's not. Sometimes it's not being perplexed or confused about the gospel. Maybe it's not the influence of a progressive church. It's simply problems to keep our eyes off the main goal. And that's what the main focus here of this passage I'm talking about this morning. Jesus in the midst of what we would call a tragedy, a huge problem for us. In the middle 
And his attempted murder, he saw a man that needed him and made time for him. The devil will do all he can to get your eyes off the goal of spreading the gospel. Don't let him succeed. He'll go for whatever he can. He'll cut away at your home. He'll cut away at your relationships at church. He'll do all he can to cause division, to stop the gospel being spread. If he would attempt to murder Jesus, and he definitely did many times here in the gospels, if he would try to do that, what makes you think he won't try to start trouble between you and me? Between each other. You're foolish if you think he wouldn't do that. One preacher said this, I thought it was pretty profound. The best prescription for a sick church is a soul-winning diet. If we're all looking for the blind man in order to give him the gospel, we won't have time to worry about every little nitpicky thing. Philippians 2, 5, let his mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. I'm no expert on raising children by far, but I have plenty of kids to practice on. Maybe get them get lucky, we'll have it figured out by the time he gets here. One thing I've found, if I can keep them busy, each doing their own thing, and it's for the same goal, if they're all working on their own task, if I can keep them busy doing those tasks, there won't be any arguments between them. But the second this one starts looking at this one, and they start fighting back and forth. You're doing this, and I'm, you're, doing, you're doing less than I was doing. It's when they get their minds off their task at hand. We start looking at what everything everybody else is doing. That's when the trouble picks up. If we can see if we get our mind on Christ and our mind on the gospel and keep our focus on looking for the blind man, that's what we're telling what God could do through his church. Philippians 4, 2, I beseech Euodius and beseech Syntyche, They'd be of the same mind in the Lord. Paul says, quit arguing in the church. Church, I encourage you, I beseech you, as Paul said to the Philippians, be of the same mind in the Lord. If we're focused on looking for the blind man, and quit focusing on ourselves, there's no telling what God could do there. The best prescription for a sick church is a soul-winning diet. There's a lot of truth in there, I believe. And if that offends you, I'm sorry. It's true, though. Are you busy looking for the blind man? You see, we have pride as a problem. Priorities are a problem. Perplexed about the gospel can be a problem. Progressive church can be a problem. Problems can be a problem. And lastly, I tried to literally everything, but I ran out of peas. Lastly, unbelief. Sometimes we don't look for the blind man because of pride. Sometimes priority, all these different things. But all of it really boils down to this. Probably the very center of the reasons we don't take part in looking for the blind man like we should that's unbelief that God can actually do what he says he's going to do. He said, but don't believe that God could use us to reach anybody else. We don't believe he can do what he said he'd do. He said, well, I wouldn't say that. You might not say it, but are you thinking it? In our lack of faith, and because of our lack of faith, we don't get to see God work and move like he would have. God can work anywhere, and he can use anybody. He's a donkey in the Old Testament. He can use anything. But he often limits and chooses the work he does based on our faith. You say, hang on, preacher. You're, what are you talking about? Matthew 13, 58, it's talking about Jesus. And he did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. That's his hometown of Nazareth. He left them to go to somebody else because they wouldn't believe in what he could do. You want to see God do some mighty works through New Hope Baptist Church? You have to believe that he can do it. Because if you don't believe he can do it, chances are he'll let you keep on believing it. Why aren't we looking for the blind man? Why aren't we as active as we possibly could be by giving the gospel out? Matthew 17, 20 says, And be you said unto them, because of your unbelief. 
So verily I say unto you, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you shall say unto this mountain, remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. Why aren't we looking for him? Is it our unbelief? Do you believe that Jesus can do what he said he'd do? You say, well, of course we do, preacher. We ought to act like him. First Thessalonians 5.20, faithful is he that calleth you, who also will do it. If he called you to do it, he'll fulfill it. We all have a job to do. He's faithful. He'll do his part if we do ours. Are we looking for the blind man? Are you looking? I believe one thing is church, not just this term, talking about church as a whole, is missing in our day is a burden to see lost sinners saved. You say, well, you're a wrong preacher. I really, hope you, I really hope I am. I hope I'm wrong about that. Because if that's the truth and we're not following the commandment given by God to the church, we're disobeying God's first command to us. Right before he left. We have a job to do, a big job to do, and it all starts with one conversation. You want to see God continue to bless our church and grow our church and get the gospel out. It's not all about church growth. Don't get me wrong, I like church growth. But it's about being faithful to do what God has called us to do, whether church grows or not. It's not about inviting people to church. Well, why would they come if they're lost? Why would they want to come if they're lost? They don't know they need it. It's like inviting a broke homeless man to an open house that's for sale. He doesn't know he can even afford it. Don't get me wrong, invite them, and I'll preach, every, preach my heart out to them. I'll do my best. But don't forget to give the gospel. It's easy for me to invite people to church. It doesn't hurt my flesh. When I invite them to church, that feels good. It makes me feel good on the inside. Well, but when I give them the gospel, you have to crucify my flesh. When I begin to ask them about the relationship with the Lord, that's when things get uncomfortable. Because my flesh, nor theirs, is going to like it. It's the truth. Are we busy looking for the blind man? Jesus was passing by men and women who were attempting to murder him by beating him to death with stones. And as he passed by, you know, it's a blind man that needed him. What is our excuse? Church, don't get distracted. With, don't let distractions of this life and distractions, sometimes even in the church, keep you from looking for the blind. Where's our focus at? Where's our priorities at? Well, I just preach. Well, preacher, I just, enough of excuses, enough of your excuses and my excuses. It's time to get busy. Don't let your pride and your priorities and being perplexed and the progressive church idea and all these problems, different things, unbelief, keep you from looking for the blind man. We have a job to do. It's time to get busy about it. And if we're faithful to do that, there's no telling what mighty works God might do through us. Every head bowed, every eye closed, nobody looking around. We're here today as a preacher. That's all well and good, but I don't even know if I'm saved or not. If you're not saved, you can't give the gospel to anybody. You can try, but it's not going to amount to much if you don't even know it, if you don't understand it. Anybody here this morning say, Preacher, I'm not saved. I don't know if I'm saved or not. Maybe you're confused. Question. Anybody? Anybody else? Anybody else? I'm going to pray for you. You say, well, preacher, I'm saved. No, I am. Maybe you didn't like what I said this morning. I don't know. But maybe what's working on your heart to get busy as well, like he was on my heart. Don't walk out these doors and forget about it. It's time to get busy. You can all look up here. <clears throat> you can all look up here. I want to challenge you today. You may have seen up there on that board, we have some new church tracks I was able to get. 
they recommended to me by the guy that did our website and really professional looking and got our name and contact information, everything on the back. I want everybody in here, if you want, I want you to take at least one. You take it home and you read it first to yourself, make sure you understand what you're giving out. And I challenge you, pray about it, and ask God to lay somebody on your heart this week to give it to. It's not that hard. You got seven, you got what, six days until next Sunday. Find one person. That's not that hard. I challenge you. There's your homework assignment for this week, if I can do that. Don't just leave it somewhere. If you're going to leave it somewhere, that's, that's fine. Get more of them. Give one of them to somebody. I challenge you. And I'm going to come back and check your homework. That's between you and the Lord. Give them out. That's why I got them. We got plenty of them out there. They're cheap. If you don't want to pay for them, that's fine. I'll pay for them out of my pocket. They're cheap. Don't be afraid to give them out. We have a bunch of them. We got a thousand back there in the box. Don't just waste them either. Use them. These are little missionaries. Our evangelist Chris Hewitt calls them that. Little missionaries. And they'll track, they'll track, will track you down. But the deal wasn't it right. Miss, Miss Pam came to church because somebody knocked on her door and gave her a gospel track. No telling who might read it. Well, they just throw it away. That's okay. Isaiah says his word, God's word will not return void. I was listening to a preacher talk a few weeks ago and basically about this subject of public ministry and tracks and things like that. And he said, he had some lady out of nowhere from a different state give him a call and crying and asking him to pray for and pray with her. And she said the Lord was, she said the Lord was chasing her down after her is what she felt like. She told him, told this preacher that the Lord had been dealing with her heart in the past and everything, dealing with her heart these, those few days. And on her heart and burdened about it, and all of a sudden, this church track came flying in through her sunroof and landed right in her lap. You say, that's crazy. Yeah, it is. I, believe, I agree with you. Said somebody gave the church track out. Somebody else took it, threw it down. The wind picked it up and dropped it in her car, and she called the pastor and got saved. That's not a coincidence. His word will not return void. I challenge you, take one. Take 50 of them. I don't care. If we'll give those out, I'll buy some more. Take them. Don't worry about your pride and your priorities and all these other things. Take the track and you pray and ask God to give you somebody in particular to give it to and come back next week and do it again. And then maybe do it two and then three and then four and five. And then I'll buy some more. Are we busy looking for the blind man? You say, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Here's your job. Are you looking for the blind man? Here's you something to do. Here's your task to do. There you go. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for what you've done for us. Thank you for being here this morning. We thank you for this church. Lord, I thank our team to preach to you. Lord, I pray. Is anyone else with us this morning? Those who raise their hand, Lord, I pray you'd allow them to see the truth, Lord, and be saved, Lord. If they have any questions, Lord, I pray they would come to us, Lord, not get over it. Lord, I pray you work on their hearts. Lord, I pray you help our church up to be an outreach here in this community, in this island. Lord, I pray you take these tracks and use them to uplift in your kingdom. In Jesus' name.